0: Life-Giving Church. This is our little theme song that you're hearing in the background, and uh, it helps us anything you do, rating the podcast, sharing it, all that stuff helps the word get out. We're not trying to build the name of a church, we're trying to build the name of Jesus in our little local community, and if you found this, I hope it's useful to you. Thank you. Let's listen now. Turn into the book of Acts, and uh, chapter 16, Acts chapter 16, we've got a long way to go. In a short time, I have one other announcement that I'd love to preach to you. Next Sunday, uh, which is November the 13th, uh, we will be, after the second service, so here right around noon, having a newcomer lunch. And uh, we would love to welcome or invite anyone who is new or newer or newish to come and participate and be part of that. It's uh, real simple. We'll have lunch together and get to know each other. It's a way, as uh, newer people are coming into the church, to get to know each other. We would love for you to be part of that. You can sign up uh, for it. On the uh, Church Center app. You should find a link there. Um, I'll be contacting people this week. But if you're new or newer around the church, there's lots of folks like that. We would love to meet you. That's newcomer lunch next Sunday. All right. Acts chapter 16. We've been moving through this book uh, week by week by week by week, and we've made it to Acts chapter 16. And I have uh, a message I'm excited to preach to you today. I want to read you the first 10 verses of Acts 16, then I want to tell you what we're talking about. We. Uh, are thrilled that you're here today, and I hope that this will be useful to you. If you have a Bible, turn there, and if you're there and you're ready, please say ready. All right, this is Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 1. It says, Paul also came to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Uh, But they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they come up to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bethina, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. I've been thinking uh, quite a bit. I can always see it when I stand and do something like that baby dedication that we just did. You can see in the eyes of uh, folks who have been through that stage of life but aren't there anymore, this weird mixture of like, man, I really wouldn't like... Be super pumped to have a kid slobbering all over me. But at the same time, you see on some people's faces that, like, man, like, that was a great time. I I, I would love to have a little baby again. Little babies are great, but, like, I don't want to have another one. But, like, and you can kind of see it. I can see it kind of, like, twisting around in your face. And uh, I often talk at this stage of life that I'm in, uh, those of you who are here week by week know Kristen, who my wife, who was here a minute ago. We have four kids, uh, ranging in ages from 13 down to five. And we're in the stage of life where we're driving from here to there to everywhere, involved in all kinds of different things. And it's like all happening all the time. And it's really exhausting, but really fun, too. And often I talk to people who say something like, well, I'll just enjoy it while it lasts. <laughs> These are the best times of your life. You think they're a handful now. Just wait till they grow up and they're a heartful and they're a lot more expensive or whatever the thing (laughs) might be. And there's this sense so often that uh, you don't realize when the best minutes of your life are, the best seasons or times because they're in combination, different times. I was laughing. uh, uh, I don't know Kristen's not even in here, so who cares? But I was just laughing with my brother before the service because I saw this picture go up on Facebook of all these guys that I knew in high school, including this guy that Kristen used to date uh, and they were all hanging out last night. And I was laughing to myself thinking, like, 20-plus years go by, and I know a whole bunch of new people. And I'm doing a whole bunch of different stuff, and those knuckleheads are still doing the same stuff with the same people that they were the last time we were wearing Doc Martens and corduroys. And so you have this sense. Uh, and what we see in Acts 16, I'm belaboring this for a reason, um, is the beginning of Acts chapter 16, those 10 verses that I just read to you are right before the very best time in the Apostle Paul's life. The Apostle Paul is right to get, about to get to the church at Philippi, where he is going to start a church and write the book of Philippians to them. And Paul has a different relationship to the Philippians than he has to any other group of people. There is a, a love, a zest, an enthusiasm, a heart kind of like wrenching love for these people that is different. And the ministry that he's about to have to these people is to him the most significant. It just feels, it just is different with these people than anybody else. Uh, And so what God does, right before the best times of your life so often, is God, because he loves us, he tests us, he challenges us, he gives us things to navigate and things to overcome because uh, you may have heard it said before and it's true that God's love to us is not a love of pampering or giving in to every whim or desire. God wants us to be holy like he is holy and so right before the very best times in our life we get opportunity and challenge. That's what I see in this text. I want to show you four things. So it starts out uh, Paul it says he came to Derby and to Lister. Paul is starting here the second missionary journey. We've journeyed with him through the first one Paul is out again, away from where he was raised, and he's going to towns and churches. And he preaches first to the synagogue and then to the town, and he's trying to build a collection of people who believe in Jesus and then start a church out of them. I brought a map that you can see. This is the journey that he's on. And so he starts out, and you can see there kind of in the inner right there, he starts out, it says in verse 1, he came to Derby and to Lystra. And there was a disciple there named Timothy. Timothy, it says, was the son of a Jewish woman. You could take that off the screen. The son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, uh, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy, it says, verse 3, to accompany him, and so he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. Timothy, uh, that's the first time he shows up in the book of Acts. He's going to be the person who Paul later entrusts to lead and to pastor this church that they're about to start together. And Timothy shows up very significantly. Do you see it there? He was a disciple. He was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. So if the writer of Acts goes out of his way to say that his mother was a believer, but that his father was a Greek, what is the writer trying to tell us? He came from an inner faith household, where the mother had strong faith in Jesus, but the father was, did not. And it says that he was well spoken of, by the brothers at Lystra so that Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. Right before the best time of your life, one, I must obey even when it's mundane. Timothy was chosen to accompany Paul. Timothy built great ministry and did significant things and ends up with two books of the Bible named after him because he was obedient and faithful when nobody else was watching long before Paul showed up on the scene. We uh, live in a day and live in a time and live in a culture that wants things now. We want things quicker. We want things faster. We want things before they're even ready and done. And much of following God is not like the way that our culture teaches us to think. And much of following God requires a willingness to be faithful, not in the parts where everybody's watching, but in all the stuff that builds up to it. Uh, Let me say it this way, because you're easily reminded in this, Timothy sounds a lot like David here. And I've seen it true many times before, and maybe you have as well, that everyone wants to be king, but almost no one wants to be a faithful shepherd boy. And the mantle, the anointing, the significant thing that was put on David in the Old Testament, Timothy in the New Testament, comes from a lot of time of obeying God, making good choices, being wise, doing the right things in the secret, in the private, when nobody else is watching. I, uh, I spend a lot of the weekends in the fall, maybe like you do, uh, watching football. Anybody? Can I find a football fan? Yeah, a few people. Okay, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's easier. This service a little easier. By the next service, they start giving you that. Like, if you're not getting me out of here by the time the Bears kick off, there's going to be a problem between you and me kind of vibe. That'll come in a couple <laughs> hours. But you can't miss when you watch football. You can't miss how many things we're seeing on our TV that are the manifestation of a lot of time in the weight room, a lot of time on the practice field, a lot of time building up. That the thing that everybody sees is the small part at the end but most of it is the being willing to be faithful and obedient and doing the right things in the mundane. Uh, We've had it perfectly shown to us this morning by these three mothers and fathers and little children that are standing up on the stage. If parenting little ones is one thing, it is mundane. It's another day of waking up and waking up when they want to wake up and trying to do your best with nutrition. And like, there's only so many episodes of Bluey that you can turn on before you start feeling like ashamed of yourself or whatever the thing is. And if parenting little kids is one thing, it's mundane. The reward comes to the, those who are willing to be faithful. You can't miss it in the text here that Timothy got this wonderful opportunity to accompany Paul because he was faithful in the mundane. But second, I think this is even more uh, significant right before the best times of your life, we must sacrifice even when you shouldn't have to. I'm going to read these three verses, three through five, and just try to track with it from everything we've learned so far. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, it says, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in faith, and they increased in Numbers daily. Luke notes, he's the writer of Acts, that Timothy's mother was Jewish and his father was Greek. That's essential to understand why Paul had Timothy circumcised. We've learned as we've been journeying through the book of Acts that these symbols were not required for people to follow Jesus, but that because they were putting a Jewish culture and a Gentile culture together, it made things easier when people followed the ceremonial rules. A Jewish person should not have been required, this is what they were aiming at, to abandon their Jewishness in order to become a Christian. So Paul didn't ask Jews to abandon circumcision. Yet in Acts 15, if you were here a few weeks ago, we saw that the disciples decided that people shouldn't have to go through this step anymore. So why was Timothy circumcised? Timothy was circumcised so that no one could complain and that ministry would not be hindered. Now, I'm going to try to do this. I mean, I'm thankful to the Lord today. I'm not trying to teach this to a bunch of teenagers like I've had to do at different times in my life. But I mean, just like if we're just being as adultish but real as we can think, no adult would willingly say, hey, can you do like that little surgery on me? And maybe like my new boss, the Apostle Paul, the way the text reads is that the text reads like Paul got like a knife out or something and took care of whatever was going on. Am I reading it the same way that you're reading it? Yeah, the heebie-jeebies. I know. I get it. I'm there with you. But nobody like stands up. Lance, you're not like standing up in the front row being like, hey, if it'll make things easier, by all means, pastor. Nobody's going for that. So what's the point? Why did Timothy willingly do it? because this topic and issue was very sensitive in their day and they wanted to remove any potential hindrance. What we see so often in the Bible is this, we must fight for the rights of others while often willingly laying down our own. The willingness to lay down my rights is a hallmark of a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. It's not that it was right and it's not that it was fair. It's that often the willingness to lay down my rights is what allows God to work. So when we see other people being treated poorly, when we see other people being trampled on, when we see other people being treated in the wrong way, we should stand up and fight for others as a way of showing them the love of Jesus. But then often when it comes around to us being the person who is mistreated, we should lay down our rights for the sake of others. That is not the way that the American culture is taught to think today. We live in the generation that tells you all turns to stand up and fight, even if nobody's listening and even if nobody cares and even if it's wrong. And most often we must lay down our rights for the sake of others. That is the biblical idea of a sacrifice. It's perfectly described in these two verses. Uh, You can put them up on the screen. I know we have an election this week. I can't wait till all the signs come down and like everyone's, anyone get to that part with me? This one doesn't feel as bad. Yeah, okay, okay. Uh, You should vote. God cares who you vote for. Whoever you vote for, you're welcome here at this church. Uh, But this is a great verse when you approach the culture and the politics around us in the time that we're living in. These are my two favorite verses. I would encourage every Christian to, to memorize or to understand these. This is Romans 15, one and two. Think about this as it pertains to what we're talking about here. We who are strong, Have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. So the problem with the world that we live in now, the Facebook comments section and the anger and angst that we see, is everybody thinks that they're the enlightened one. How could you possibly vote that way? How could you be so stupid? How could you possibly think that way? You must be so wrong. Most people think of, put the verse back up on the screen for a second. Most of us think of ourselves as the strong person, the one who sees things more clearly than others. Paul in Romans is like, cool. If you're the strong one, you know what that means? It means that you have an obligation, and your obligation is to bear with the failings of the weak. So the, the like reward, wow, congrats, you're smarter than everybody else. You watched that right YouTube video, you got it. You figured out the key to unlocking the world that nobody else could have figured out. Great, awesome, congratulations. You know what that means? You must hold up all the problems that come from the weaker people. Not please yourself. Now let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Timothy was required to submit to physical pain for the sake of what that would create in his opportunity to minister to other people. Sacrifice is a really important and very lost idea in our world today. A sacrifice is to give up something you love for someone you love even more. Sacrifice is giving up something you love for someone you love more. Having kids its kind of a theme here because it was so beautifully displayed for us in the service. What do I love to do? I love to stay in bed. What do I love even more? That little baby that God gave to me. Giving up something, what do I love? I love being around people that think just like me. Who do I love even more than that like? I love Jesus, and Jesus requires me to want to try to surround myself with people who don't think like me because I'm more like him when I act that way. And on and on and on and on it goes. Right before the best times of your life, you should. we must learn to sacrifice even when we shouldn't have to. Rather than seeing being treated poorly as evidence of weakness, often our willingness to accept unfair treatment is evidence of God at work in us. Then two more things happen. The the text gets real crazy. Now it kind of shifts. So Paul and Timothy, it says, verse 6, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Why did they go that way? Well, It says in my Bible and yours, too, in verse 6, look at it. It says that they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. What does that mean? They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. So they were like, we're going this way. And in some supernatural way that Luke doesn't tell us, it was made clear to them, no, you shouldn't go that way. The last part of our text here, we're like a few minutes from being done, is about the way that God supernaturally speaks right before the best time in your life. I'm going to ask for your participation here on this: Who would love God to give you a crystal clear word, like crystal clear, like certain word about a, a problem you're facing, or about a decision that you have to make, or about something that's who would like love? Just show hands. Show hands. Going around the room. who's like, I would love that feeling of God telling me you should do this. I'm going to suggest to you that the reason that often doesn't happen is because we're not like totally willing to do all the stuff he already told us pretty clearly to do. And so a lot of people are like, you know, crying at the front of the church, like saying, I just want God to like bring. I just want so bad to get married and I just want so bad God to bring the right person along. And I just want so bad for God to bless me in that way. And what God is looking at you and saying is right. But like if I sent the right person your way. The person you are right now would run them right off. So it's not coming. No. Okay, sure, thanks. I got one. Yeah, that's getting, it gets getting a little. So God is speaking very clearly. First, Paul goes and tries to go to Asia, and it says that the Holy Spirit forbid them to go that way. Then it says, so then they came to Mysia because they were, they were trying to go to Bethina. And then it says in the second time, verse 7 and 6 and 7, it says, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow him. The word that's used in both of those verses there is the idea of, it means to stop or to prevent or to forbid or to hinder or to restrain. God put up a wall so that they couldn't go the way that they wanted to go. Now, in a second, God speaks very clearly. This gives the implication and the idea that it was more like the circumstances made it clear they shouldn't go the direction they were trying to go. Has that ever happened to you? I made a little list of how God tells us to change course. Has that ever happened to you where you're like, I don't know. It just just seems like this relationship, this job, this college, this opportunity, this thing. It just seems like God's trying to tell me no. Who's ever had an experience like that before? Here's five ways that God does that. We want to be watching for when God is trying to say to change course. Sometimes it comes from irrational closed doors sometimes like you go in and you just nail the interview and you're like there's no way in the world they have a better candidate for this job than me and then it's passed over there's an this like sometimes there's things that come our way and they're like no that should not have happened sometimes god is using things that should not have happened to take you other directions that he wants you to go another way that god sometimes tells us to change course is words from a trusted friend we need to have people in our lives that we're willing to listen to when they say, hey, I think maybe we, I think, I think maybe we should go this way. Have you noticed, by the way, that the people that most often we ask for advice tend to be the people that don't like run around trying to offer it without being asked? Have you ever noticed that? You must have, and you need to find some people in your life. You're like, sometimes God tells us to change course by someone who's talking to us. Um, sometimes this one can get so annoying, but it's like uh, Sometimes it's that lingering unease. You often hear people say stuff like, I just don't have peace about this. Often it's called women's intuition. I don't know why we didn't get our fair share of it, fellas, but it's kind of fair enough. There's that, what does that mean when a person's saying something? They're saying, I can't tell you why by details, but I'm just telling you, that's not a good idea. I just got a bad feeling about that guy. I just got a, a bad sense about this thing. Sometimes God tells us to uh, change course by a supernatural coincidence. And sometimes God tells us to change course by a supernatural message. A supernatural coincidence is not like when you were talking about how you wanted to get some new Doc Martens and then you look at your phone and like you see an ad for them. That's not, super, <laughs> that's not supernatural. That's the fact that we're all being taken advantage of by somebody else over there. What I mean, though, is do you ever have those things happen where you're like walking through an airport and then your flight is delayed and then you sit down at a restaurant and right across from you look and you see someone you haven't seen in like 20 years, stuff like that. Where I'm not saying that like whatever that person says, it means that it's God and you should just give them all your money. It's not like that. But sometimes God uses things that seem, how could this have happened? Because he's trying to give us a message. And so Paul is trying to go To speak the word, by the way, notice he's trying to do a good thing. He's trying to go this way. Nope, God won't let me go this way. He's trying to go this way. No, God won't let me this way. And then he's forced to just kind of stop. Just imagine how frustrating that little spot right there between verse seven and verse eight must have been. I've lived some of life in that spot. Have you lived some of life in that spot? Where you're like, okay, so... Not that way. Hmm. And not that way. But then, if not that way or this way, what way? That's when we must be very careful right before the best times of life to listen for when God is giving fresh direction. Often, the bad thing that God stops us from doing or the thing that comes to an end, and then there's a small gap, and then God starts to work and give us fresh direction again. Notice what happens in the text So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, come here, Lance, come on, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go. Notice in verse 10 that it changes from something about what Paul did to a we. That's Luke's like clever little way as the writer of telling you that's when he entered the story. Right there in verse 10, do you see it? And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. God gives this fresh direction, but often the time between what and why is excruciating. So Paul knew he wasn't supposed to go that way, and Paul knew he wasn't supposed to go that way. But while he was waiting, he had to just, he had to wait until this dream comes. The dream, and there's, you can find all kinds of fanciful ideas that people have. Like some people say that they think, by the way, it's written that this was actually Alexander the Great that appeared in a dream. I don't know why that would be, or that some people say that Luke, the writer of Acts, was actually the person who appeared in the dream, and when Paul got over there, he met Luke. We don't know. We try to stick to what the Bible's actually saying. What we know is Paul had a dream, and it was vivid enough. You ever have those dreams where like, it fe- you can tell while you're having it, it's a really like great dream, and then you wake up, and by the time you've made it to the bathroom and back, you can't remember the dream anymore, and it's like, does anyone ever have that happen? You're like, no, no, I kinda Or like, where you wake up enough to be like, wait, I can still sleep. I want to go back to the dream, but you can never get back to the dream. That's so frustrating. <laughs> That's neither here nor there. He had a dream that was vivid enough that he was sure that this is what God wanted him to do. He had a dream that he was vivid enough that he was sure this is what God wanted him to do. And the dream was he saw a man from Macedonia. How he knew that it was a man from Macedonia, the text doesn't say. But he was standing there, urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And what I want to point out to you, the most important part in this text I've saved for right now, is in verse 10. It says, and when Paul had seen the vision... And when Paul had seen the vision, look with me at verse 10 if you have a Bible. And when Paul had seen the vision, what's the next word in your Bible? And when Paul had seen the vision, what's the next word in your Bible? Immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. When God gives us clarity. So I wake up, I have a dream, I have a clear and unmistakable sense that this is the person that I'm supposed to marry. Yes, we should have another child. Yes, we should buy that house. Yes, I need to forgive that person and call them on the phone and say, can we please meet up and start over? Yes, I'm sure now I need to go that way and not this way. It's the, all the decisions of life. When I have a clear sense of what God wants me to do, I need to, in short order, start taking the steps towards obedience as quickly as possible. Why? Because God doesn't give us that much, that often, that frequently, a clear sense of direction. Most of life is that trying like, okay, should I go to, should I go to photos or Wendy's, right out there on Northwest Highway after church, where should I go? And the answer most of the time is, it doesn't really matter, and God's not going to be mad no matter what you picked. And some people get all like worried in their head, like, if I wore like the jeans instead of the khakis, is God going to be mad at me? No, no, no. Most of life is just the decisions of wisdom that we make. But every once in a while, you get to a pivotal something. And when God opens your eyes through his word, or through a friend, or through a dream, or through a strong sense of what is obedience... The next step, dear friends, is critically important that the next step is not like wandering around and saying, hey, can I tell you about what I think maybe God was saying? And can, I, can, you, can you pray for me? No, you don't need anybody to pray for you. If you're like sure what God wants you to do, you don't need anybody to pray. The only prayer is, Lord, can you give them the strength to do the thing that it's already clear to do? You ever done that like little game, you know, where you use like praying about it as like sort of a game to keep you from avoiding it? I just, like, think, I just, like, can you pray for me? I'm just trying to decide whether or not God wants me to pay my property taxes. You know, i just, can you pray for me? No, no, I won't pray for you, actually. I'll walk with you, and, like, I can watch you write a check and put it in an envelope, because God does want you to do the right thing. Always. Immediately. And on the other side of Paul's willingness to obey, towards this person comes the great things in his life. The best stuff was on the other side of the obedience. You're good, Thank you. And I wonder how many people, as we're getting towards the end now, I wonder how many people are living in this room right now, are living in what they're in their mind calling delayed obedience, but what God would call disobedience. No, no, for sure. Like, I'm going to, I am going to start, like, I am going to start, Giving to the church when I deal with this and this and this. Okay, that's fine. Call it in your mind delayed obedience, but it's actually disobedience. I'm gonna kick that habit. After thanks, no, not that thing. After Christmas, January first, January first, we're right about that time where we start promising ourselves things about January first, January first, January first, January first, January first, January first, January January first. No more drinking, no more carbohydrates, no more. I spent the whole week eating candy. I spent the whole week eating candy, but I promise God, I'm this starting tomorrow morning, tomorrow morning, tomorrow morning, tomorrow morning, tomorrow morning, tomorrow morning. morning, Whatever the thing, I'm using jokey examples. But there's some people that need to like open up your phone right now and delete that person's phone number and block them and say, I can't talk to you anymore because it's going to destroy my marriage and my life if I talk to you for one more second. And we kind of hold our clarity about what God wants us to do. Like it lasts forever and we got as many more chances at it as we need and I'm just going to go to church and sing the songs and just kind of wait. And what I'm saying to you today, hopefully clearly from the Bible, is this. Delayed obedience is disobedience. If God has spoken to you clearly, you are responsible to do something about it. And you can't guarantee that God's going to give you another week, another chance, another this, another that. I got a quick list and then we're done. The band's coming and we'll sing. There's some people today. Come on, guys. There's some people today that haven't crossed over the line to salvation. You're here in the room, and you have like a general sense that you believe in this God stuff, but you've never confessed with your mouth Jesus Christ is Lord. You've never truly said to someone, I believe in my heart that God has raised him from the dead, so you're not saved. If you died today, you would not go to heaven. You would not go to heaven. You're kind of like lingering around the edge of church. That does not make you a Christian any more than being at a wedding makes you married lingering around the edge is not a way that you're getting to heaven choose Jesus Christ as Lord today for salvation two here's a list of things maybe this God's given you clarity about this your whole life you got this person or this thing that you won't forgive and you hold it and you talk about it and you love you. every week every month every year you get a new counselor because you can't wait just to tell the story again of who hurt you and how mad you are and people tell you how bad it was and how unfair it is and I'm sure maybe your dad was terrible maybe he was but as long as you're blaming him, holding on to it, not releasing it, you're not obeying God and you're not helping yourself get anywhere far, further forward. Two, three. Uh, I talked about it a second ago. Giving some of what God has given to you, to your church, is part of obeying God. You can roll your eyes at me saying it because it obviously helps the church all you want, but it is obeying God. For some people, it's uh, getting baptized. Getting baptized is publicly saying in front of a group of people, yes, I believe, yes, I believe. And people come up with all their reasons and all their answers not to obey God. They come up with all their reasons of not to obey God, yet they can't believe it when they ask God to bless him and he doesn't. And then last, maybe something very specific that I'm not touching on. You know, like I'm talking to you right now and you're like, there's this thing, I know God wants me to do it. I know I'm like positive, I'm positive, I'm positive. If you're not obeying, you're disobeying. And so I'm just asking today that God would give strength to some people. God wants to unveil. God wants to release. God wants to bless you in ways that you've longed for him to bless you. But you have to obey him first. He's probably not going to bless you while while you're not obeying him. He's probably not going to bless you while you're not obeying him. So I wonder today, what is it for you? Would you bow your head with me? I'm going to pray. When I say amen, we're going to sing. Lord, I'm asking today that what many people may be feeling right now is conviction. You would bring to fruition. Give us the strength to make the right next choice, to do the right next thing. God, I pray that you would release your blessing on every person listening to me right now in ways that they're hoping for and dreaming about and longing for and desiring, God. But I know that it's coming through the portal of our obedience, and so I'm praying you would give us the strength to take that step. And I'm praying it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, Amen. Come on, watch you stand to your feet. We're gonna sing, and then we're gonna be done. This has been the Good News in the Neighborhood Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the song. I hope it's been helpful to you. We'll see you again soon. This is Good News.